Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On today's episode, we salute Katie Hawkins Gar. Katie is a freelance writer and the founder of Digital Women Leaders, a mentoring program for women and non binary people working in news who are looking for advice from someone who understands their experience. It's a free program with dozens of coaches available for a 30 minute session. Katie also edits the newsletter, My Sweet Dumb Brain which is about facing the ups and downs of life, all while being kind to yourself. She's previously worked at CNN and the Pointer Institute. Hi, Katie. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Mark. I'm happy to be here. So first question, we ask everyone, same thing to start us off. What's your journalism origin story? So I have been interested in journalism for a long, long time. I wrote for my high school and college newspaper, but I officially started my career at CNN. I interned there in college, then got a trainee position, and then they couldn't get rid of me. I got a full-time position, and from there, I kept climbing up the ranks. And I worked at CNN for seven years and spent almost all of that time on the iReport team, which was their foray into participatory journalism. It actually predated social media. So it was very ahead of its time. So I worked as an associate producer where I helped producers do work. Then I became a producer and I eventually became the editor of the iReport team running that team. But through all of those jobs, it was our team's responsibility to basically invite regular people to share their stories and photos and images of breaking news events around the world. So we got to talk to pretty, you know, regular people who happen to be in the midst of these, you know, incredible news events. And you got to meet some really fascinating people in the process. And certainly that's that's something that we've seen more of as time has gone on, uh, particularly with George Floyd's murder being videotaped. Absolutely. Was there anything in your upbringing that foreshadowed your career in storytelling? So I've always loved to read and write. I, my mom swears I started reading at three and I would, any chance I could get to read, I would. And I started, I would run out of books to read. So then I'd grab the newspaper. My parents drive to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I remember thinking that writing for the newspaper seemed like the coolest job in the world. I actually also at the age of 10 started like my own newspaper for about my family and our events for the week so I had a little like typewriter and would would publish our family's newspaper once a week what kind of stories did you cover in that I had my own advice column where like my mom would write in to ask for advice from me and my advice always seemed to be like give your daughter treats and be nice to her I would write about summer breaks and school and vacations we went on and all sorts of stuff. I think it was probably only interesting to me and my family, but we enjoyed it. Now, you're from the Atlanta area, right? Where are we talking to you from now? Also Atlanta. I actually, I moved away when I joined the Pointer Institute, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little while. But last year, I moved back became a mom and I moved back home to be closer to family. 
So you said, let's talk about the Pointer Institute. Let's talk about it right mm -hmm. now. What did you do for them? Yeah. So after I left CNN, I joined Pointer as their digital innovation faculty member. So it was my job to teach journalists and newsrooms about a variety of things, news gathering on social media, how to build innovative environments and teams. It's taught a lot about participatory storytelling, which I, I certainly learned from my iReport days. And then one of the main things I did at Pointer was I co-founded their Leadership Academy for Women in Media. And running that program was honestly, continues to be one of the highlights of my career. What were some of the accomplishments of it? Well, it's still running today. It's it's an incredible program. It It has really become sort of a, a launch pad for so many women who are at the beginning of their career, but have aspirations to kind of climb up the ladder in their organizations and have bigger responsibilities in management and so on. And so many of the women who were in those first few classes now have incredible jobs, you know, editor and chief, uh, chief of Teen Vogue and head of strategy at Washington Post and just so many incredible positions. It's just been really amazing to see how the alumna of this program have grown. Can you articulate about what Pointer Institute does for people that might not be familiar? Sure. Yeah. Pointer is a training institute in St. Petersburg, Florida. And the idea is that, you know, a lot of journalists are kind of thrown into things that they don't necessarily get opportunities for professional growth and networking. And Pointer really offers that everything from management training to training on being better editors to training on how to handle reporting on traumatic events, something that a lot of journalists are looking for these days. It's a really incredible place and the campus is gorgeous. I, I miss working there. It's a, it's a beautiful place to work. And this kind of will get into digital women leaders. Uh, you seem to have a strong passion for teaching. I do. Both of my parents were elementary school teachers. And I remember thinking that I wanted to take a slightly different path than teaching when I was growing up, which sort of made me interested in writing and journalism. But it, funny enough, my career did wind up turning, you know, bringing me back to teaching in the end. Um, all right. So let's talk about digital women leaders. Um, mm -hmm. When did this start? What's its origin story and how has it grown and succeeded? Sure. So I started Digital Women Leaders in 2018 after I left my full-time job at Pointer. At the time, I was taking a year off from work, and I had spent a lot of time thinking about how I could give back. And one of the, like I mentioned before, one of the biggest accomplishments of my, of my career and, and something that I really wanted to grow was the Leadership Academy program. So I did, I brainstormed with some of the alumna from the Leadership Academy, and we came up with the idea of a central website that could offer office hours for journalists looking for mentors. Basically, we were all saying this 
experience we've had, this Leadership Academy, it's a week at Pointer, you get all this training and all this great advice around things like negotiation and imposter syndrome and ethics and work-life balance, all these topics that you don't necessarily have the time to really think about in a busy newsroom day. And we wanted to share that with a wider audience than just the women who get to be in that room. So the idea was born. And since I had some free time on my hands, I offered to build something. So I put a site together in Squarespace. I did not have much experience at all putting together a site, but as a a place like Squarespace promises that it's pretty easy to build a website and turns out to be the case. So Digital Women Leaders was born in May 2018. And since then, it has grown so much. I actually got a, in 2019, I got a grant from the Knight Foundation to build the site, get a redesign for the site and uh, create some better filtering and search functionality. We moved it off of Squarespace, it's now hosted on WordPress. And in almost five years, we have helped thousands of women through free one-on-one calls. There are more than a hundred women who are offering their time as mentors and uh, many more women who are in the wings waiting to join the site. And overall, it's just been a huge success and I'm really proud of it. How did you find the people that would participate as mentors? So actually every single person who's a mentor is an alumna of the Leadership Academy of Programs. So they're they're tied together in that way. And that's been a real great vetting process for me. I know that they've gone through this academy and gotten this great training, and now they can take what they've learned from that, plus, of course, all their wisdom from their own careers and share that through mentoring. So what are the demographics of the mentors and the mentees? So all mentors and mentees, like you mentioned, are women or non-binary journalists. It tends to skew a little younger. When we started the Leadership Academy, it was really focused on women at the beginning of their careers. However, that has grown over time. So we've, we've got women at all stages of their careers now all over the U.S. and the world. One of the filters on the site, you can filter by language. So Spanish-speaking journalists, we've got, we've got one mentor who speaks sign language, so you could actually do a session in ASL, which is very cool. And yeah, we've also got journalists who are well-versed in a variety of topics, sports journalists, People are on the management track, people who are specifically in the product and digital innovation space. It is, it's quite a variety. What kinds of discussions do people have without giving away too much? Yeah, I I mean, people can talk about whatever they want. Burnout is a very common topic as our career changes. I think we, a lot of people come to the site when they're at sort of a pivotal role in a pivotal time in their careers where they're looking to sort of bounce ideas off of someone else. Personally, I have spoken to women who are wondering 
whether they should move or have kids or become managers. This is real big life moments where, you know, maybe it's easier to talk to a stranger who's been there and, you know, figure it out together. Do the mentors ever become mentees? And vice yeah, versa. So, <laughs> yes, yes. So, you know, a lot of mentees, especially right now, applications are open for Leadership Academy. So a lot of the mentees are coming to the site to talk to people who have been in the program and look for advice on their own application. Of course, once they go through the program, then they can become mentors. So it's this sort of, there's kind of a closed loop that way. But I, yes, I'm a mentor and I have gone to the site and actually booked an appointment with someone else just to talk, talk through with them. It's really amazing to know that there's, you know, an endless, endless amount of people who are available, who you know, are offering up 30 minutes of their time to talk to you. Yep. I do want to note that I went through the roster of mentors a few months ago, and I wound up adding a good number of names to our potential guest list. So in the future, it's likely that we will hear from some people who are who are part of the Digital Women Leaders. The other thing I wanted to ask about is, mm-hmm. so with this podcast, we're in the middle of a state where I think this year, close to three quarters of the guests that I've had on have been women. I look at a program like Report for America, which has a large number of women within it. I look at the state winners of the High School Journalist of the Year by state, and I see that it's almost entirely young women. And mm-hmm. I'm curious if if you think we're now in a moment for women in journalism and how much progress is being made with regards to the opportunities and career paths that they're getting. Yeah, I think a lot of progress is being made and at the same time, not enough progress. I think the trend you're seeing is it seems to bear out there are more women than men at the earliest levels, more women than men, you know, enrolling in journalism schools and the high school programs and so on and so forth. And then that number sort of flip flops once you get higher up the ranks We are seeing more and more women in leadership positions, but they're still left out of a lot of conversations and big decisions in newsrooms. And of course, there's still a huge gap when it comes to women of color. I am heartened by the progress that I've seen over the past few years, but I one worry I have is how much the pandemic set women back, especially mothers who had to take a step back in their careers to take care of their children. I actually became a mom in 2020, and I'm still spending more time parenting than working and and wouldn't have quite expected that at this stage. So that has been eye-opening to me, how, you know, pausing for motherhood can, can sort of create that career inequality we see. If you're willing to expand, how do you manage that? It's not easy. My partner and I, we, we split our time beta- between parenting and working. My daughter will start daycare in October when she turns two. And I think that's going, that's definitely going to free up time for me, but you know, it's not easy. There's a lot of like squeezing in whatever work you can during nap time or in early mornings and late evenings. And you just make it work. And that is one thing I, I will say about hiring mothers and parents in general. They're really good at multitasking and making work happen. What's the next step for digital women leaders? 
I am currently figuring out how to grow the site while keeping it free. Right now, the entire effort is volunteer run. All the mentors volunteer their time and the time that includes the time I spend adding mentors and updating the website. But as we just discussed, my time is limited. So I'm trying to figure out if there's ways to hire some people to help add more people to the site and make some other changes. So I'm currently brainstorming the possibility of a crowdfunding campaign at our five-year anniversary, which is next May. But yeah, stay tuned. It's still, we're still in the brainstorming phase, but uh, I'm very, very committed to keeping the site free and available to everyone. Awesome. I think that a good number of people would certainly be willing to help out in that regard, mm -hmm. as I'm sure you've discovered. I want to segue to your newsletter, My Sweet Dumb Brain. This is the <laughs> second episode in which we've had someone on to talk about a project that kind of accompanied their um, their journalism career. The, the most recent of those, we had Nicole Gupte on to talk about Trailing Spouse, which is a website and community with articles and such for spouses who follow their partners to other locations as a result of relocation. And it was a good discussion with her. I want to talk to you about My Sweet Dumb Brain. Can you explain its origin story and how it developed? Sure. So I started My Sweet Dumb Brain in 2018, which was the same year that I started Digital Women Leaders. It was a, a big year for me. It was so that the year prior in 2017, my husband died suddenly and unexpectedly. And that is why I was taking some time off. I was taking time off from work, taking some time to grieve and figure out next steps. And my sweet dumb brain was really born out of that grief. It was a way for me to write about my emotions and to share them with others and to and to write at a time when, you know, I was not working. I just found myself itching to write and create. Since I have started that newsletter, it has grown so much. I have more than 7,000 subscribers now, 550 of whom are paying subscribers, which is pretty amazing. And I write about a variety of topics more than just grief. It is really as my reader, reader base has grown, so has the variety of topics that I write about. I saw that one testimonial said it was like being able to listen to a BFF uh, uh -huh. talk. <laughs> Do you have a favorite essay or an example of one that you could take us from initial idea to finished product? Mm, yeah, it's hard to pick a favorite, but actually just this morning, I finished an essay that might be a new favorite. It's, it's about taking photos and holding on to memories and how, you know, as we grow older, time just seems to go quicker and quicker. And working on this essay was a pretty typical process for me in that I started thinking about the topic a few days ago, sort of letting it I kind of sit in the back of my head. And then I usually will start every essay publishes on Tuesday morning, once a week. So I'll usually start writing on Sunday mornings and then finish finish writing it on Mondays. After I finish writing, I hand it off to my editor, who is my dear friend, Becca. She jumps in and makes edits and any changes. And then we 
stage the whole thing in Substack. We schedule it for the next day. And then every Tuesday morning, we send out a newsletter. Like I said, every week I do it, I always take a summer break. I just got done with a summer break. But besides that, throughout the whole year, it's, it's a new essay every week. How have you found the experience of doing it? I love it. It is amazing. It is, it's honestly pretty therapeutic for me. <laughs> you know, I usually take something that I'm going through or thinking about and just the act of writing helps me to sort of work through my ideas. And it's been incredible that no matter what subject I tackle, there is always someone on the other side of the screen who feels seen. And the, it's amazing when those people res respond to me and say, hey, me too. I have also been thinking this. That's just incredible. And it feels like, I mean, it, it feels amazing because it, it is something I'm doing for myself that also happens to help a lot of other people. So I wanted to ask about one where you responded essentially to a news story. First was the, this one being on anticipatory grief related mm -hmm. to the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade. You wrote, so first we must give ourselves time to grieve, to feel whatever we need to. Many of us are feeling sadness, anger, frustration, maybe even some despair. We feel nauseous, scared, anxious. At some point, though, we will feel hope. If we allow it, hope will creep in. Can you take us through that essay? So the Supreme Court's ruling was obviously a big moment this year, and it was something I knew I wanted to write about because I had a lot of thoughts and emotions about it, but I, I didn't really want to get that political. That's just not the direction that, you know, I've taken my newsletter in. And a quick side note, it is, it does feel it does feel like I'm breaking the rules as a journalist to be able to share my opinions in this way, right? Like for the longest time working at CNN and at Pointer, you know, I had to maintain quote unquote objectivity and not write about these things. So now to have the freedom as a freelancer to make that choice, if I want to write about that has been pretty incredible. So hearing you read my words, I was like, Oh, wow. I can't believe I get to I get to publish that. So all that to say, I knew I wanted to write about the ruling, but I decided to write about it through the lens of grief, because that is a topic that I know and a topic that I'm very comfortable with. And in this case, I wrote about anticipatory grief, which is the act of grieving someone before they die. And when that happens, you still have to deal with the same old grief when that person passes away. It's not getting around it, right? Even if you grieve before they die, there's still grief that happens afterwards. And even though so many of us knew that the ruling was coming because of the leak that had happened a few months prior, many of us still had a moment of real grief and shock when the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. So that's the direction I, I took that essay in, and it was a pretty liberating one to get to write. One other one that you wrote segues into potential career advice. Two years ago, you wrote a piece called Choosing Success Over Happiness that mm -hmm. I kind of related to. Can you explain it and explain how it's instructive with regards to work-life balance for journalists? Yeah, so this essay, you know, I really was looking back at different points in my career and as 
again through a grief lens kind of realizing like those moments of my career when I maybe made a choice about working instead of living life you know if I had known that my husband was going to die so young would I have made those choices and I I happen to have a lot of journalists happen to read my newsletter, not because it's about journalism, but because they know me from the journalism world. And I love the idea that maybe some of them would read a post like that and it would allow them to pause and think because work-life balance is so important. Some people would argue it's impossible. I've One of the things in the Leadership Academy for Women, we use the phrase work-life chemistry because balance is impossible. But if you could sort of work on your own kind of formula that works for you, a little bit of work, a little bit of life, then maybe you can get the the right chemistry. And I think being a journalist is such an important job and it is such a fast paced job and it is such a demanding job and it can be so easy to prioritize work over everything else. But every so often you have to pause if you can and kind of think about, wait, what are the things that I'm not prioritizing because I'm putting all that effort on work. So how do you, yeah. how, how do you want your newsletter to become a community? I, you know, I want people to feel seen, to know that they're not the only ones struggling with difficult emotions or intrusive thoughts. I get to see that when people email me and when they join the comments. And I I love that. I am trying to do more and more to sort of resurface those voices and letting other people know, like, it's not just me who wrote this essay. Like there were multiple people who responded and feel the same way. So yeah, there definitely is a community there, and I would love to continue growing this community in the years to come. I don't want to ignore the other things that you do. I was on your website a couple of hours ago and saw a list of other things that you work on. Can you just share what some of those are? Sure. Yeah, I am also a freelance writer. I've you know written articles for a host of publications, the New York Times. CNN, Fortune, Glamour Magazine, lots of different publications like that. And then I work with a lot of wonderful news organizations. I work with the News Revenue Hub. I help them with a lot of their copywriting. I'm on the advisory board for the Carter Center Fellowships for Mental Health Journalism. And right now I'm also doing some work helping Report for America with their leadership training. So I stay pretty busy. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So we salute you for your good work, and we ask you to do likewise. Is there a journalist or journalism organization, one ideally that you're preferably not affiliated with, since you ran through a list of others already, that you would like to salute for their good work? Yeah, I, I love that you do this. It's really wonderful. So last year, I learned about Sahan Journal in Minneapolis, and I have been so impressed with their work ever since I found out about them. They're the only newsroom dedicated to Minnesota's communities of color, and they approach their reporting in just a really smart and caring and inclusive way. And I, yeah, I wholeheartedly salute them and the work they do.
glad that you said that. That's one that's on my list for future guests. So hopefully we'll hear from them in the near future. Katie Hawkins-Gar, thank you for taking the time to join us. Best of luck with all of your projects. Thank you so much, Mark. Digital Women Leaders offers one-on-one mentoring to women and non-binary journalists entirely free of charge. You can get more information at digitalwomenleaders.com. My Sweet Dumb Brain is a newsletter about dealing with the challenges of life, giving yourself credit, and maintaining your mental health. You can find it online at mysweetdumbbrain.substack.com. I highly recommend it. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at JournalismSalute at gmail.com.